everyone. It's Zane from In The Making. And if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, I've been really interested in VR technology and AR. And so I am. I could not be more uh, proud to have our, our, our latest guest uh, is a CS co-teacher at Stanford. I have a couple of things. She's a former make school student herself. And, you know, like makers do, we never leave each other behind. Uh, instructor's Choice for Best App back in, I think, uh, 2017 or 2018? 2017, yeah. Yes. And All right. Other, other stuff, real quick stuff. Uh, 12 iOS apps. She's now, again, a, a student and at Stanford and a co-teacher. So I'll be really interested to hear more about that. And a fellow at IDEO, uh, the, the world-renowned institute. Uh, founder, PM, engineer. Uh, my friend here is Miriam Hart. Miriam, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Zane. Awesome. So we, we were just talking about Alan Davis and and uh, tell, tell since the juniors at May School aren't going to get to know him, can you tell us your favorite memory about Alan? His hair. I would say that his hair, his personality, his persona, Mr. Rainbow. I'm not sure if he ever mentioned that to you guys, but he used to be called like Mr. Rainbow or something like that. Um, and he kind of was amazing because one, he's a very intelligent person, um, but also extremely humble and extremely fun. And it shows that you can be into math and into science and into data science or all these different fields and also be careless and not fit the stereotype of what it means to love math and science. And so that's what I loved about him. And that's why I guess I brought him up and asked if he was still there. Yeah. Awesome. So uh, could you see Alan doing anything other than what he's doing at make school? Um, I mean, like right now I randomly, he, his name pops up on my phone because I have Strava and he has Strava. And so he goes on walks very often with his dogs and bike rides. So that's one thing I know that he does pretty regularly. We give kudos to each other. When I go on runs, he gives me kudos. I give him kudos. And so um, that's one thing that I guess is going on for him right now. But I mean, from what I remember, I, I can imagine him working on some maybe like motion tracking, leap motion kind of company helping them in some aspect in the back, yeah. Oh, wow. Um, I think I see a lot more, uh, I don't know, but I'll give you like the insider, because I, I, I went to Alan's like farewell Zoom um, mm -hmm. and said, this is like an insider tip for everyone. He's actually working on an upcoming a science show for dogs. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it's like why, like maybe a dog asks questions like, why do I hate cats or why does like, um, uh, why does the ball like fall down when like I, I play fetch with my owner things like that? You know? Going into gravity and all these science. Interesting, as like an educational tool for people. Yeah, like, like a YouTube show. Mm. Wow, that's pretty cool. That's awesome. Right, well, I should probably move on to the uh, your your own story, and uh, I, I went over some of the quick points. Uh, really quickly but i would love to hear like your own take on your story maybe uh, even dive deeper uh yeah let, let everyone know the person that they're about to fall in love with um yeah i mean like grew up in new york um i was born in georgia and i got into i always liked making things ever since i was like forever i started off making inventions from cardboard boxes like make, trying to make air conditioners like from a pole that I can pull something and it blows at me. Just playing around, cutting things up. Um, and then I started using my brother's computer and I just typed in on YouTube how to and I would hit the space bar and just learn everything that just pops up. Origami, break dancing, how to play guitar, um, just really anything. And I didn't really like think that I wasn't able to do something just because it seemed intimidating. I always just jumped in and just tested the waters and saw if I can swim. Uh, and then when I was in ninth grade, I decided I wanted to build an app for my school in my high school. And so uh, I was 13 and I just Googled on YouTube, like I did with all these other things, how to make an app. And I didn't know how to code. 
I didn't even know what that meant, honestly. It wasn't something that was taught at my school. Um, and I just, you know, watched some YouTube videos, downloaded Xcode, and just followed tutorials, and I started from there. So the first app I built, actually, I did not understand, like, a single line of code that was written. I just didn't understand it at all. I didn't know how to code. But I built an entire app just from using the internet, honestly, and just Googling how to make a table view, how to add a button into an app. And then somebody would say, this is like UI.button, whatever, you know, whatever the code was for that, I would just add that code into my app, hit the run button, see if it works. Um, me and my friend, we would sit next to each other. I would close one eye, she would close the other, and we, that we thought that it would work if we each close one eye when I hit the run button. And we literally, I literally did not know what I was doing, uh, but I just didn't give up. and. Eventually, even though my app got rejected three times, after that it got accepted, it was on the app store, and people used it, and I realized that this is kind of cool. Building apps is cool. Um, it's a way to create something and share it with the world. Somebody who doesn't have a voice can create an app that helps people like them, and I think that's really powerful and interesting. And so after my first app, I decided I wanted to learn how to code. And so then I started that journey, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, there's, there's so much in there. I have to say, I kind of relate to what your, the first point you said, which is about curiosity. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and actually, I was listening to the, the CTO of Microsoft. This He has another podcast, like, Behind the Tech. He says, like, uh, like there's so many people, really, in, in, like, science and technology, where it's, like, whatever they built, like, it started with that, like, initial, like, curiosity, right? Mm -hmm. Do you think, um, like, uh, just as like a side note, like aside from all the like success you have in like techno technological things, do you think having curiosity also helps in like your relationships and like having empathy for other people? Yeah, I think that um, I try to be comfortable with the uncomfortable. And part of being a curious person is exploring the unknown, right? You're trying to find something that you don't know about. You wanna learn about new things. And so that can apply to everything and anything. That can apply to learning a new language. It can apply to trying to expand your vocabulary. It can apply to just so many different ideas, like getting good at a certain sport that just takes such a long time to get good at. And there's just so much failure there. Um, and so, yeah, I think that programming and getting good at technology is just embracing discomfort and working in an area and ducks and imposter syndrome doing things when you don't know why it works or what you're doing but still doing them and so having that mindset of being okay with not understanding everything and still going and still fighting to understand eventually things will click and that can apply to relationships that can apply to anything definitely so you touched on this a little bit and, and you, start, you started like you started coding and didn't really understand what was going on. Um, this is really relevant to me right now as a TA and help, I've helped a lot, of, a lot of juniors who may be at the same point that you were at at that mm -hmm. point. Um, first time coding even, uh, not understanding a lot of things. How, do you, how did like, when did you know, like you, you started coding, right? Was there like a moment you said like, okay, I'm switching from actually just like, I'm assuming you like copy pasting stuff from tutorials here and there. When did you like kind of make the switch to, okay, now I'm, I know like I'm starting to feel this understanding and like it actually makes sense. Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, so when, so the, I built this app when I was 13, my first app. And then I had like three years of on and off app development with just being in high school, you know, it takes up time. And so when I was 16, that was when I went to San Francisco to make school. And I also took, I took coding classes in between them and it didn't click. None of it actually clicked ever. And I didn't really know what was happening. Like I knew how to write a variable and a string, but I didn't really understand how classes works, functions. Like I, it didn't really click yet. And it was only after I built my second app at make school uh, so after like, I would say, so this is like a period of two and a half years, really, of me kind of coding and then spending about four months really dedicated to programming that I had this moment where it did click or like I read my code and I understood it. 
And I'm like, whoa, this is so cool. But also that was only for part of it. Like I was making API requests. I didn't understand how APIs worked. So there's still a lot that I didn't get. Um, and I don't think somebody actually, I don't think there's a person out there that really knows how it all works. That's like a lot to be able to know all the functions in the library. I think part of coding is not knowing, is Googling, is, is being okay with, you know, just trying, like knowing how to search and how to learn enough to be able to do what you want to do. So I definitely did have a moment of clicking that I understood the syntax better, but I still have a long way to go in terms of growth in the, in the coding world, yeah. Definitely, yeah. Um, this is like this is like why Stack Overflow is like so useful today and all that stuff. I wanted to, I'm so curious, like, so when you started coding, uh, I know you started by like Googling and stuff, but like between 13 and 16, was there like classes on it at your high school or? At, no. You, like, okay. Interesting. Sorry. Yeah. Um, I, what I ended up doing was I, so I lived in a suburb, like an hour out of New York City. And so I took a train, a bus after school um, when I was 15 and 16. And for tw twice a week, I took these like coding classes for, it was, I think it was called like Galvanize. I forgot the New York Coding School Academy. It's for like, 30 and 40 year old people who want to change their career and go into engineering. And so it's like these boot camp programs. Mm -hmm. so I was there doing that with like all these older people and you know, it was totally fine. That's kind of how I learned on my own. Yeah. That's crazy. Like even like the, like where do you get the wherewithal to say like, okay, everyone in high school is doing like X, Y, and Z. I'm going to go hang out with these, you know, uh, other folks learn to code. Honestly, I think it has to do with my nature. Um, ever since I was little, I was always very different and not even in like a strange way. Actually, so I grew up in a very conservative religious community and girls get married at 19. So most of my friends are married right now um, and they don't play sports. They don't wear sneakers. They don't wear pants. And something that I loved when I was younger is sports, is running around. And so from the beginning, I was always just different just because I like to run. Not even like something so crazy, you know, but just as a girl, I still wanted to play sports. I still wanted to play basketball and soccer. And in my community, that girls don't play sports. They don't do that. Mm -hmm. And so I would still do it by myself. With I would find one other person or two other people in my school to run around with me. And so automatically, I was already very different and I think because of that experience growing up, I learned to embrace that. And so with anything, I assumed that I was just like this. I was just a different person. And so even if it seemed crazy to me, it was normal because this is just who I am. And so being different or being thought of as different growing up definitely allowed me to embrace that um, with anything in life. Honestly, I don't, I don't subscribe to anything or anybody. I kind of just do what feels right, you know, and try to be good while doing them. Yeah. Yeah, that, that reminds me of like so many people I've, I've met at May school too like like I like even some of the instructors like browse like I was in Madison Wisconsin learning to code on my own then and like I think he even like lived on a train for like a year and he was mm -hmm. trying to like learn Ruby on rails he was like living on actual and you ever heard that story like any, no I didn't that's really funny I yeah it's like it's like I don't know I think maybe the May school just attracts a lot of misfits um in, in a good way. Definitely. And I, I didn't want to, like, ask you about that. So, because this gets in, like, make school history. At that time, like, they, they just, like, let high school students come into the, or were you coming for the summer program? So, it's actually, and Browse can tell you the story, too. Um, so, I applied to the, so I did the app development summer program. Okay. And then I loved it so much that I didn't want to leave. And I was going to 12th grade at the time, so I didn't graduate high school yet. Mm -hmm. But I told them that I was 18, and I asked if I can do their product college, because when I went, it was the second year ever that, that the college existed. Um, and so the seniors would be the seniors for the first time, and mm -hmm. we would, I would be the second class going in. Uh, and so they needed people, and they knew me because I was there in the summer program, and I was you know, building, I built like two apps during that summer. And so they liked me. And they asked if I finished high school. I said, yes, I lied. <laughs> um, and 
I got into the college and then I think it was like right before I went, I actually started going to the product college. My mom came to San Francisco just to see what was going on. And she mentioned to Browse that I was 16. And Browse looked at me and he was like, what? I thought you were 18. And I was like, come on. Like my mom just outed me, you know? And, um, but in the end, they, they really, they worked with me and we made it work. And even though I didn't graduate yet, I was able to graduate while attending make school um, with my high school. And so we figured it all out. They still allowed me to go to the product college, even though I was like way too young and I didn't graduate high school yet. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of how. Wow, that that is so crazy! Like 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 that like that's that's like real commitment. It's like, yeah. um, so your your folks like um, I'm assuming they, you know, what was their reaction when you wanted, when you said, okay, I found this place called May School out in San Francisco. That first that first time you told them, what was that all about? Um, so I didn't tell them until I had it all figured out. So I first need to figure out how I will still graduate because that's super important to them and to me. And so I looked into transferring to public school in San Francisco. I looked into, I called my high school to see if there's ways for me to do everything remotely. Um, I just tried, I, I, I tried to figure it out before even telling them that I wanted to do this. I tried to figure out how I'll pay for make school. I tried to figure out where I'll live, um, just everything. So when they, they questioned me, I have every single answer. And that's what I did. I figured it all out. And then I told them. And I'm a very, like, you know, since I was, when I was 15, I was going up to the city to take these classes. I'm a very, like, independent person, and they trust me. Mm -hmm. And my mom, either way, wanted me to kind of get out of my community because it was so conservative and religious, and I wasn't religious anymore at that point. And so she was very supportive of this, especially since I was still able to graduate high school. Uh, and so, yeah, we had an agreement that I can do make school, but I still have to go to university. And actually what my mom said to me is that I need to go to Stanford. So I said, okay, that was our deal. She'll let me go to make school if I, if I can get into Stanford. And so while I was going to make school, I was studying for my SATs every night and trying to, you know, do that as well. Yeah. 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 Like I said, completely inspirational, uh, as you, it kind of reminds me of my own of my own story, but it's like it's like nothing compared to yours. Like I, I told my parents that I was going to make school. They, I was like it was in twelfth grade too. Like I, I I guess I kind of did the more traditional route. I like finished high school, then went. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, I, I totally feel that like parents like having the right intentions, but like it sounds like in your case they're really supportive. Mm -hmm. They really were, I would say, which is really really nice. Yeah. So. This, you mentioned Stanford, and this is a good segue because I have a quote here from Browse. Uh, Lily, one of my first like classes at May School, SPD 1.1, he posted this in Slack, and I just want to read it to you, get your reaction. Okay. Um, so he said, a Stanford alum, or a May School alumna who's at Stanford told me, even compared, like, quote, even compared to the design thinking classes I took at Stanford, I really think that May School's approach to product development gives students more freedom to ideate in ways that are less structured and comfortable. And I really love that. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I read this and I thought, okay, I got I, like, I have to go detective mode because who is this person? And then uh, I, I found you on LinkedIn and I, I want to get into what are some of the differences between Make School and Stanford? Well, one of the main differences is that Make School is project-based. So Make School is all about learn, learning by doing. And I am so grateful that I went to Make School to learn computer science. Actually, at Stanford, I'm not majoring in computer science. I don't want to. Mm -hmm. I feel like I gained the knowledge that I needed in terms of being able to build things through Make School. And so at Stanford, I'm there to learn things that Make School couldn't provide to me, which is philosophy classes and, um, you know, psychology, business school classes, med classes, and just across the board, everything else, kind of. But Make School was really great because everything we did was through example. And the example is either an example that they showed us or an example that we created ourselves. And so that's something that I really loved about Make School, just constantly be able to, being able to create things that have purpose that I can share with the world. 
And so I'm not just learning for the sake of learning, but I'm also learning for the sake for the sake of actually sharing something with other people and creating an impact. And I loved that. And that's what I'm at school standard for. So I have to, I, I, you know, I, I did visit Stanford once when I, I like uh, a previous time when I came to San Francisco. And so I've, I've seen the campus. It looks really nice. It, a lot of people were riding bikes all over the place. Mm-hmm. What is your favorite part about Stanford? Like either culturally or uh, with all the, the classes you just mentioned? I would say it's, there's two things. Um, one, I would say it's the people. Yeah. And like make school stanford attracts very cool people and people that i find that i get along with really well for the most part and i you know like i'm a very interesting person and it's hard to really click with a lot of people and so i love stanford because there's so many crazies there too and so it's really easy for me to get along with people like right now me and my roommate are doing the startup in south africa uh, and this like just crazy things that wouldn't necessarily happen anywhere else um so that's one thing i love another thing is the niche classes it provides uh i guess three things actually so yeah the niche classes it provides so at stanford the reason i I actually only applied there i didn't want to go to any other school uh and the main reason for that is because they don't make you they actually um, encourage you not to declare your major until after two years of being at the university so they want you to explore. This college is very much about exploring and seeing what you like, learning new things, no matter if it's relevant or not relevant to your career. And so I've taken very niche classes that I'm that I find the most interesting that I don't think I would have been able to really learn anywhere else, like how to edit DNA with CRISPR or um, use, using the internet to hack, like very niche things. And so those have been my favorite classes. And that's something that Stanford has given me. Uh, And then the third thing is just access to resources. So access to like the chemistry labs, laser cutters, um, camera equipment that's just super expensive and just all the resources, professors that are leading the industry and things, you know, and they're all on campus and I can just email them and say, hey, I have a question about this. Can you meet with me? And usually people are very friendly. And so those are, I would say, are the three main things I love about school. That's cool. Yeah, like, yeah, like those 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 big schools are still like like they're like the centers of like learning today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's cool. You know, so I I know you. So you said uh, one of the questions I was thinking about was when you knew it was time to make a change to make school, and of course it was because family and stuff like that. Um, do you? I want to go more into like how you became a co-teacher at Stanford. Mm-hmm. And like, to be honest, I don't even know what a co-teacher is. So maybe even uh, outside of being a student, what is that co-teacher role um, look like? Yeah. Um, so I guess I, so something, I mean, like the way I learn things is that I, I kind of just get obsessed with something and then I just learn everything about it for a while. And sometimes it sticks and sometimes it doesn't. So there was a period that I became kind of obsessed with virtual reality. Um, I think I, that started when I was like 18. And I, I don't know if you've heard of Magic Leap, but I came across this company while working um, as an engineer at UNO. And some, a coworker of mine brought it up. And that company is creating mixed reality headsets. And the way it works is it inject, injects light into your retina to make you see things that aren't there. So it's super crazy. Uh, And so that kind of just got me into the field because of the innovation going on there. And I wanted to learn more, um, take a class at Stanford on virtual reality and just, you know, grow as a VR engineer. And I saw this class uh, and I realized like the, it was more of a beginner level and I already had all all that experience, but I knew one of the co-teachers was another student and I knew that student and I kind of just reached out to them and said, this looks really cool. I'd love to kind of be a part of this and help teach this class. And so it was me, him, like one other person and then a professor and we, and we spent the summer kind of working on the curriculum and just teaching students. And it was most, it was all really like student led student teachers. 
we got the go from the computer science department to teach this class on virtual reality. And yeah, that's kind of what it was. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's so cool. So you, you basically like, you just took like a stamp, you just like make classes and like if the department says yes, they just like go with it. Yeah, right now I'm actually working on another class for Stanford, um, which is this. So the, the first class to computer science is called CS106A, mm -hmm. and it's in Python. And I took it and I actually dropped out because I really did not like it. <laughs> um, it was just too algorithm y and data structure y, and there's no fun there. And one of the reasons I like, like programming is because you can build cool things with it and make colors and it can be exciting and interactive and that's fun. And this class is all about writing functions that reorder strings. It's not very interesting and it's hard. These are problems that are very hard to do the way they want you to do them. And so it just upset me that there are so many people that their first introduction to computer science is this class. And the fact that it turned me off, somebody who's been programming for almost 10 years, like for seven years now, I dropped out I think that a lot of other people might get turned off by CS2, especially women. Um, and so that's why right now I'm recreating CS106A through app development. So people can learn um, merge sorts and binary trees, but also it can be visual and they can choose the colors and the fonts and the button sizes and it can be more fun. And so that's something I'm working on right now. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. That goes back to the empathy piece we were talking about earlier. Uh, at Stanford, uh, I, like most computer science colleges, like I've seen, and definitely at school, there is a, the, that imbalance between men and like other like non-men. Do you do you see that? Like, is it more balanced at Stanford? Like more women? Yeah, I would say actually it is in the CS in the CS department for sure. Um, there are a lot of women, and it's actually like really nice. A lot of my friends are like CS majors, um, and honestly, fifty percent of the school is CS. So uh yeah a lot of people are cs there and a lot of women are cs too and i think that uh and a lot of the friends that i have that are like women that are into cs they struggled a lot in the beginning uh but i think it was just like stanford student grit where they just didn't let that stop them and that's one of the reasons why there are so many women there but in math classes and in other sciences there's not that much of representation but when it comes to CS, there definitely is, yeah. That's awesome. So I have to think, and going back to what you said about like how you want to teach the course differently, I don't, like, I kind of like relate to that a lot. Like, like I, I took computer science in high school and I have to say like a lot of those courses, like they almost start out like technical interview problems, like, like merge sort, that's like something that you have to, like I'm learning right now to prepare for some interviews. And, and, I, and I like, do you, even, do you almost feel like, you know, some of the tools that like, like Scratch or like those types of things, stuff you see at like a, like a Today at Apple event, those are like the right way to like introduce people to computer science? Um, I think it definitely might help people be less frightened by computer science because it, those programs are just more simple and straightforward. But I think a way to really help people fall in love or want to learn an actual programming language is to show them that they can really create something with this and break that mindset that they're not able to do it. I think that's the biggest thing, just helping people realize that they can build an app after one day of trying, something like absurd like that. Um, and so I think I, it's called, yeah, it's kind of just like breaking this barrier in our mind. I'm getting over a hump and the, of disbelief to belief that you can really do this. And I think that using, if there are maybe frameworks on top of like Swift for people just starting off, that might be something that would be really cool. Uh, so to help people really just get into it and build something right away and then try to want to learn more so they can build more. So that might be an interesting way to really help people. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing is like, that's, that's also like more relevant too. Like, Mm -hmm. uh, I, I guess the reason why I, me I mentioned the Tate Apple event. I remember the first time I came to San Francisco, uh, like trying, I was trying to learn more about my peers, and I noticed like at Apple they like they have those like coding events, like today at Apple, and like 
I, so I took a, a friend there and we went to just like the, the, the San Francisco store and they were having one on a uh, Swift playgrounds. Right. And I think it was mm-hmm. even, um, like AR kit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, um, so they had like an event, maybe like uh, it was, uh, Sarah Rothbrook who's like an NYU artist, like in, mm-hmm. in New York, who used AR and stuff. I think that event was like, it kind of speaks to what you're, what you're talking about. Like, like very, like, uh, like it was very simplistic, but it didn't feel like you were like they were. It was condescending, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in the in the classroom, like, what are the kind of tools that you use for your for your CS course? Like, are you breaking out iPads or uh, you more like Alan just uses his, his whiteboard things like that? Right. Um, actually, there was a teacher at Stanford at Make School who was only there for the first few months that I was there. He had a visa problem, so he had to leave. But he, by far, was my favorite teacher at Make School. His name was like Nicholas Burke, I think. He was an iOS instructor. And he had this method of teaching that was called, I do, we do, you do. So he, on his, in his presentation, with Xcode open on his computer, he would do something, like trying to explain to us how protocols work or um, just data handling through different screens. He would do it, show us, and then he kind of sent us these files with the code pre-written. We just had to change one line or two line, two lines, and we would do it together. So I do, we do, and then he would say, okay, now you do it yourself in another context with another um, app that he sent us where we just have to change a few lines. And I found this method really effective um, in terms of learning how to like for programming ideas and concepts. And so in my classes, I actually did implement that. I would show the students something, we would do it together. If they have questions, we're talking about it. And then I asked them to do it. Uh, and that was definitely an effective way for me um, of like learning programming, I would say. So that's something that I've been doing, yeah. That's a nice hack. I think this is a good episode. Like, it's good for like the juniors at make school. It's good for like seniors like me who are TAs. Yeah. So maybe I should just like take this podcast, share it in the TA meeting next in the next <laughs> week or so. Ross leaves it. I, I think it would just be it was cool. What is the hardest thing about teaching though? If you had to pick one. Um. I mean, one, it takes a lot of energy to be on consistently. Um, so that's something that I have so much respect for teachers for. Every single day, they're on, and they're listening, and they're talking, and they're loud. And so some people, I guess, that comes naturally. For me, it definitely takes energy to do that. Uh, and I'm also a perfectionist. So I want each slide to look beautiful, and I want it to be the best it can be. And so it takes me time to build out the curriculum and to build out these things. Um, so I would say the two hardest things is kind of just building the curriculum and then sometimes just performing. Uh, but yeah, I still think it's very valuable and so that's why I still love to do it. Yeah. Yeah, like you, I, I kind of experienced that myself. Like once like you may be having whatever kinds of emotions that they've like, when you do office hours, whatever, it kind of just have to like flip the switch and like you're all, like, you feel like you're like almost like faking it sometimes or like um, you just flip a switch and then like you have to be like the positive, like, uh, or I guess someone I'm trying to ask is like, what kind of style do you use with your, with your students? Like you like the, the positive, all like, um, teacher or like level-headed or or kind of were you just like natural for one I try to encourage you know just that every level of understanding is okay so if there's people who don't understand anything that's fine Um, let's talk about it and if let's say we can't figure it out right now we can figure it out later and so that's one thing that I really try to encourage because there's so many times that I felt just so lost in class. Um, half the time, half the classes I take at Stanford, I have zero of the requirements. So I literally do not know what's happening. And I don't raise my hand every second because I'm supposed to know what's going on. But in my class, I definitely do want it to be a place where we can actually talk from the very beginning. And just like, if somebody doesn't understand something, 
maybe another student in the class can explain it to them. And just kind of just creating dialect between not just me and the students, but everybody. Um, I would say another thing I do is also it's as much as I'm teaching, it's very collaborative in, in, in learning. It's very collaborative. So other people can teach as well. And it's not like me looking down upon everybody else. It's kind of, it's like 20% lecture, 80% do. So that's kind of the structure that I've learned from one of my mentors is Esther Wojcicki. She is a teacher in Palo Alto. Um, and she started like Moonshots in Education, this really cool method and framework of teaching and learning. And so I tried to follow that framework as well. And so it's just a lot about letting the students do their own thing and be independent in a, in a structured way, um, but still be able to collaborate and yeah, just move. That's interesting. Yeah. Tell me about that. Like, uh, is that, how old is that framework? It's pretty new. Um, I mean, like she's had it for a while, but now it's really starting to be implemented worldwide. So there's like schools in Zimbabwe, and now UC Berkeley will be implementing um, Moonshots in Education. Uh, it's like a nonprofit organization. And I think, and she just actually wrote a book about it, like a, about maybe a year ago. And she's been going around just, and she went to Finland, and I think Finland, certain like school systems there are implementing Moonshots in Education. Uh, and so, yeah, it's a new, it's cool, pretty cool, yeah. Yeah, I swear, like, after being in mixed school for you, any, anytime someone says the word framework, I'm like, okay, pick install that. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. what is like, a, is like a core aspect of it that, uh, like, uh, specifically that people should know about? Or? I mean, like, step one is just trust your students um, and treat them with respect. Um, I think those are like, she has this, these like letters that stand for something, but I just forgot honestly what they are. It's like the, the words are trust, but each letter stands for something. You can Google it. Uh, but yeah, pretty much like a big thing is trusting your students, treating them with respect, like people, same level as you. Most of my students are taller than me. So it's very, you know, like I, or older than me. Um, and so like as much as, so sometimes it's hard for people to really respect me because I'm like, I could be 10 years younger than, some of the students. Um, but for the most part, I try to make it a space that we're all, we all have knowledge to share and give and different expertise. And so trying to just have that be shared in the space so we can all just like learn from each other. Yeah. It's, it's really, it's, I like you take that like accepting approach. Like, yeah. Um, this also gets into like imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. It's something we talk a lot about in May school. And this could be like, I, I can see in, in like your situation, it could be like for you as a teacher, as a young, um, new teacher, or like for the students who are like learning for the first time. Um, have you come up across imposter syndrome at different points in your, in your journey? And if so, how do you like go through with that? Yeah, no, that's imposter syndrome is huge, especially with programming. And I think I did have it for a while um, once I started like building more apps because I didn't know, I felt fake. Like I was building this app but I didn't know how it worked. So people are like, whoa, you're such a good app developer. And I'm like, I don't know what's happening. I, so it, yeah, the, it's very real imposter syndrome. But actually I think that I started rethinking what imposter syndrome really means and reframing that and kind of, instead of saying that I have imposter syndrome, it's kind of looking at uh, programming and just life and the fake it till you make it perspective. So right now I'm faking it, but eventually I'll make it. And I think they're kind of the same. Like right now you're faking these things so you can do something. Um, you're an imposter kind of, but that's something that can be overcome with time. And so I very much embrace fake it till you make it now. And so that's probably why I don't get imposter syndrome as much, just because I know faking it is part of the process. And so, um, yeah, that's, that's probably my mantra. I'm like, fake it till you make it. So I guess I'm always an imposter, but that's great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'd say that, that goes back to what you said even earlier with like being comfortable with, like being, un like being comfortable with the uncomfort or like uncertainty. 
I'd say it almost feels a lot like I, I definitely relate to when I was doing, doing team projects at May school and like doing like we take on these roles like oh yeah you're the PM or like you're the you're the back end engineer but like no one's ever like that, that person's like I've never like worked this job I'm just taking on this role for the team and that's that's interesting do you do you almost feel like that you're like I know you I can see you're really committed to your students do you almost feel like you're in like that commitment is another way that you like push through and say like even though I'm I'm not sure all the things I like I'll figure it out for for like people that depend on it no definitely like there are so many times that I've said yes to something without actually knowing how to do it um an example is my one of my first internships was a data science internship and I literally did not know data science at this point I wasn't taking data science classes at make school yet and I had this interview they sent me these interview questions and I was supposed to submit it back after two days but I literally I was so far and lost from understanding the questions that I I didn't even like it's not that I didn't even know how to code data science I didn't understand the questions they're asking I couldn't even like wrap my head around it at all just all the, the vocabulary was just so far removed from me um, but I still applied to this job and even though I was supposed to submit it after two days. I kind of just like on the spot, I went to Udemy and I took a course on statistics and then I learned Python. I didn't even know how to program in Python then because right now it's just iOS for me. And so I learned Python, I learned stats, and then I learned data science. And then two months later, I sent the questions to the recruiters and I got the job. And if I didn't allow, if I didn't allow myself to kind of pretend that I was a data science to even apply, I wouldn't have this opportunity to really grow in that position. And so I think faking it's honestly really okay because as long as you give yourself time to make it, then you should be okay. And you should be able to do what you set your mind out to do. Um, yeah. So. Man, there's going to be a lot, a lot of data science students this year. And, and I feel like that that piece right there will, will probably a lot of help to like the TAs and stuff because like especially with the math por portions like that that takes just like there's a lot of ramp up with that for sure. Mm -hmm. um, I want to also so we may have only time for this last question. I want to talk about having allies in the classroom and how like people who like you you spoken a lot about imposter syndrome so i I'm, i feel like we've covered like the person who feels out of place or you know like even you, you felt out of place in your jewish community or oh yeah your conservative uh community um but for folks who are more like like traditionally seen in this in this industry like men for if for example do you have any advice for people who want to be allies to say the person in the class who's being more or more shy or even the coworker at work who's more like um, a beginner in certain things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm not sure where I read this, but this was a really good example of how to be a good ally. Um, so there's one thing to invite somebody to a party, but there's another thing to ask them to dance with you. So including people in the room is great, but if they're sitting in the corner and they're not interacting with people and they're shy or intimidated, that's not so great. That's not really being a good ally or being inclusive. It's another thing to ask them to dance. It's another thing to actually include them and introduce them to your friends and you know, engage with them at the party or in the classroom or at the work co-working space. So I think the best thing to do in a way to be a good ally is one, talk, include, share your friends with this person, share your resources with this person. Um, and then, what was the other thing I was gonna say? Yeah, I mean like, just include, just listen. That was the other thing. So each person's kind of their own person, you know? Like, yeah, there's a lot of women who have shared experiences, but at the end of the day, we're all just individuals. Um, and listening and trying to understand somebody who may seem out of place or feel out of place is just i think is really validating to them and will help them feel more comfortable wherever they are um and just showing that you care so i would say listening and including are just great ways to be allies yeah class or that <laughs> sure. um so moving ahead to the future 
what do you see as your most impactful work right now? Right now, I would say, uh, so I'm actually doing a couple things right now. Um, one of the most impactful things I, so two things. One, I'm actually going to be in a reality TV show. So right now I'm filming on a reality show. <laughs> uh, it's coming out next year. So that should be very interesting. I don't really know what to expect there. Um, and then the other thing is my startup that I'm doing with my roommate. Yeah, it's pretty much Instacart for South Africa, like consumer good delivery. Yeah. Oh, that, it's actually really, uh, yeah. So first of all, I have to ask, like, is that the first time you've announced that reality TV show? Yeah, I mean, like, I'm pretty sure I'm allowed to tell people, so it's okay. Um, but yes, publicly, yes. So it's it's been here first, yeah. That's awesome. So your 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 startup then, um, so it's Instacart for South Africa. I have to say you're, that's probably really a, a good idea. I feel like I prefer like for instance in the Pakistani community there are app developers who like they try and build Uber. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work in like America, but like those third world markets, like you just take the same idea that's worked already in America, put it there, and like there's one there's one app developer I read his uh, his medium blog basically. It, it turned out really successful. So, mm. tell me how you how did you get into like doing Instacart? For... Uh, it was actually my so my roommate. She's from Johannesburg, and it was her idea. And she called me and told me about it about two and a half months ago. And I said I'm in. Uh, she's a really cool person. Her name's Kara Nergam, and I knew that at some point we'd be working on some sort of company together. I didn't know when it would happen. I didn't expect it to happen now. I thought it would happen in five years from now. I knew it would, um, but she told me that she's pursuing this. And so, and she asked if I wanted to join and I just right away said yes. I was like rollerblading when she called me. I didn't even know what it was that she was doing in, in the beginning, but I automatically said yes. Um, and so she, her father works in logistics. So they have connections with understanding how like the logistics work in South Africa, like the requirements needed to comply to the different regulations there for drivers, um, which is really valuable. And so with our expertise, she's the CEO, I'm the CPO. Um, we have three engineers, one back end, two front end. Um, I'm, I kind of built like the structure of everything, what the app looks like, both apps, driver, consumer, um, I'm leading product. We have influencers like Amanda DuPont, who will be announcing the app very soon. Beta is in about two weeks. Uh, and then we have like three other people that are, we have one finance person and then two logistics people and me and Kiara. And so we're kind of just faking it till we make it, honestly. Um, doing without knowing, just, you know, talking to each other, talking to other people. Uh, and yeah, I actually find out, I find out today if I get investment from this one, this group. So hopefully I do. <laughs> um, and yeah, just, just going. That's the book with all that. Um, so to wrap up, I have some rapid fire questions. Yes. So who would you pick as a mascot for Make School? From Make School? Like for Make School or like the school oh just like a mascot in general um i would pick a phoenix, phoenix. yes <laughs> the animal that comes back and it's always always uh rebirthing yes but yeah that's technology is it's always rebirthed always different totally best restaurant in san francisco cafe Raval. Best aside I've ever had in my entire life. Okay, now, now best restaurant in New York. Uh, still have more exploring to do here, but I'm I just, my favorite restaurant's Nobu. <laughs> it's expensive, but I would say that's my favorite one here. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. And so you have a, a reality TV show. Who would you want to be your co-star on the show? I think the people I would want to be my co-stars are my are the co-stars. It's actually me and my family. Oh. So I'm happy with them being doing this with me. Uh, yeah. So I would say they're here, which is good. Awesome. 
Yeah. And finally, for all the people who have come to SF and make school, what is the most uh, useful thing that you like bought when you came to San Francisco that like helped? It's like if you could recommend one purchase that would make life easier for new college students, what would it be? A bike. <laughs> you know what? My favorite thing that I bought in San Francisco that I still have to this day and use all the time is a skateboard. I love skateboarding. Um, and I learned how to do it in SF, so maybe a skateboard. Yeah. Interesting. So when you're going up hills in, in, in San Francisco on a skateboard, that had a I learned how to skate in SF, which was definitely crazy. Yeah, up and down hills, avoiding people, sometimes hitting them, mostly avoiding them. But yeah. Maybe, maybe we should uh, get a, a liability agreement. <laughs> yep, definitely. All right. And last of all, any last shout outs at Make School? People you wish you could have uh, shout out one last time? People you that, that you always think of nowadays? Mm -hmm. I'm not sure who's still there, but I would like shout out to Shannon. I don't know if she's still there. Um, she was like an IOT instructor and she, she was like a really smart person and just broke down some really hard concepts uh, and created curriculums that allowed us to build things without understanding them fully and just make us feel good in certain spaces. So I would give a shout out to her for that experience. Yeah. Ooh. I will make sure to share this on, on the Slack channel. I feel like people like who leave May School are still always on the Slack channel. Right, right. Are you still on the Slack channel? I, I'm probably on it. I don't know if it's on my phone, like logged in, but yeah. I, I feel like maybe it's maybe Slack's like, yeah, I think I like that part about Slack. And mm -hmm. last of all, what would be your, what would be your question to the May School audience right now? So. You know, you have a lot of students listening that just started uh, the school. Mm -hmm. uh, you have a lot of seniors who, like, maybe you could pull, like, oh, what would you, like, uh, how would you want to learn the VR stuff? What would be your question or your, to the, the make school audience? You have Browse and Dan who are probably going to listen to this. Right. I mean, like, I think asking them, I think having an understanding, a question I would ask is, why are you here? Um why why are you doing this you know it makes school is like definitely a strange thing to do it's not normal for the normal route of life that people think you know why why are you doing this what what is it's not really about like like oh well, i grew up in this way and but what what do you want to bring into the future um i think having that mindset and also being open to learn things that aren't necessarily that you don't value right now like something that i didn't value right now is when I went to make school was learning data structures. Mm -hmm. And so I just didn't really perform well in those classes. I just wasn't interested. Um, but when the slight things that I did pay attention to, it did carry. And when I do want that knowledge, I had it from make school. And so I would say just really learning things, even if they don't seem interesting to you right now, you might actually be grateful in the future for that knowledge um, as a tip. Yeah. Awesome. All right, Miriam. Thank you for coming on. That concludes our show. And yeah, thank you for having me. Okay.